0: Ready is relentless. Ready is fearless. Ready is fearing no foe. Ready for the next level? Renew your season ticket now and support Rangers into season 2021. Prices are frozen for next season and the renewals deadline is extended. Visit rangers.co.uk slash renew to secure your season ticket today. Always Rangers. Always loyal.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to the Four Lads of the Dream podcast. My name is Stephen Clifford and thanks for joining us for another edition. Joining us today is also our regular host, Mr Chris Jack. Chris,
2: how are you? Very good, Stevie. Thanks for having us on once again. Looking forward to this one.
1: Yeah, it's another great guest. We're looking forward to hearing from them. So it's a very warm welcome to our guest, Mr Maurice Ross on the Four Lads Had the Dream podcast. Maurice, how are you? I'm fine, uh, considering.
0: Um, the weather's been good the last week, so I've got much gardening done and whatnot, so it's... Listen, it's, it's, it is what it is. You've got to just get your head around it and, and you know, carry on and, and try and be as positive as you can. Same as everybody else, I guess.
1: How difficult has um, this situation been for you um, as the, the Motherwell Reserve manager? How are you keeping on top of your, your players' fitness and how are you keeping in touch with them and things?
0: My, my position's kind of changed in the last six months at Motherwell. I'm, I'm actually the first team coach now um, and I basically have a... An oversight of the of the of the younger lads without having a day to day, yeah, involvement with them. Um, that's Dermot O'Carroll's position now.
1: From that, then um, we'll kind of we'll, we'll journey back and is we'll we'll kind of talk through wee bits of your career. But something that we'd spoke about before you'd done this is that you've done obviously um, open goal and things like that. So we're going to try and ask you some slightly different questions. So I hope that people will enjoy that as we go through it. One of the first things I was going to say to you was um, about your, your kind of your start in football and who were your air, early career heroes and early inspirations in football that, that um, inspired you to get involved? <clears throat> Do you know what? I never really, I never really got me
0: inspired by, by a certain individual. It was more by chance that I ended up playing football, at, you know, 9, 10 year old, whatever it was. Um, once I started realising that, you know, I was, I was involved with, with Dundee United and whatnot, um, then you start thinking maybe oh this maybe this could be something, you know, but it's, it's it was more by chance than by design. Um <clears throat> but I I would have to say my, my early my early heroes, um being a Dundee United fan when I was a kid, uh was Morris Malpass That was that was a guy I always thought oh he's just the best, you know. Um, I was a defender or well, kind of fullback type. Um and I always kinda of, looked up to him. Um it wasn't until later where you start <clears throat> you start getting in contact with the clubs like Rangers and you start being about eye rocks, you start to get to go and collect the balls for the first team when you're, when you're on your work experience, etc. that you start seeing how good these top players are. Um, and then I, I kind of always looked up to John Brown, Richard Goff type, Richard Goff types. <clears throat> you know, I, I never looked up to the Durantes and whatnot, no, because I just knew that I would never get to that level with their, with their level of ability. So I try to focus on the more, robotic the more uh, training product type players like Bomber and, and Richard Goff. So, as I would love to come on and say, it was an exciting Brian up thing, but it wasn't. It was, yeah, dull footballers at the back that I, that I looked up to the most.
1: You've talked a lot about your early experiences with John Brown and how much of a guidance he was in terms of helping you um, focus and kind of block out and... It, kind of focused on your own characteristics and mentality and things like that. Has that helped you in the role and, and in previous roles? Has that helped you? And do you use a lot of that experience yourself going forward? What bomb? What, what Bomber was magnificent at was, was taking a, a young,
0: frail, well, not so much frail, but a, a young, kind of wet behind the ears boy that, you know, coming from school into being, a young man and and potentially a young man with, with an attitude and application that would make him into a first team player. And what I admire about that process or that style that Bomber had that is absolutely vacant in all academies up and down the country, and I mean not all, but majority, is the ability to cut through nonsense and tell you how it is at the risk of upsetting you for a day or a half, you know, by telling you that's not good enough by any matter of means. You have got to do X, Y, and Z before you're even considered the book going into the twenties team, never mind the first team. And it was a level of honesty and a level of transparency that you knew where you, you you knew where you stood. If you didn't work hard enough, you were told. If your passing wasn't up to scratch, you were told. And what I feel now is that there's a there's a softness, there's a there's a sterile environment in these academies where you know what to upset anyone, you know what to offend anyone, you know what to raise your voice, you know what to, you know to make somebody feel bad. And I mean, what is that creating? Now, I use this analogy all the time. If you go on holiday to to Egypt or whatever, right? You know, you, you're, and you know, where there's typhoid, etc. What does when you go to the doctors? They provide you, they, they give you a dose of typhoid to build up some resistance to that disease. Now, in these academies, they're not getting these, these hardships, these obstacles, these speed bumps, whatever you want to call it. So how can you then go from that sterile environment and walk around into the first-team arena and not expect to be shouted at, not expect to be berated when you've, you've taken up the wrong position or no, or no match to run up. So what happens is these young lads go up there and it's a shell shock. And, and them, vast majority, are no, they're no emotionally ready for it because they've not been fed that from 16 to, to 19, 20 when they when should be ready for first team. And I think it's a it's testament to, to the good old days that, listen, we're, we're not talking about effing blind and, and and whatnot, but there's got to be some form of spectrum where you can, you can give somebody it when they need it. But then you cuddle them the next nine times. You know, there's got to be allowed that. And I don't see it enough in these high-profiled academies. And I think it's, uh, and I think it shows. I think it shows there's, there's less and less boys coming through academies and making first teams. The ones that are making it, are, they're, getting, they're getting released at academy level and they're going to real men's football at League 2, League 3 in England or wherever it is, in League 1 and they're thrown a deep end in the learn quickly and they're exposed to negative feedback. And before you know it, they find their feet and, and the talent that they had as a 16, 17 year old is now paired with a robust mentality that allows them to become a, a professional footballer. Because John Brown's best saying he ever said to me, if you can't handle me shouting at you, how can you handle 52,000 maniacs shouting at you? And for that day forward, I had a different approach.
1: You tasted um, early success in the youth team when Rangers won the Reserve League, did that give you a, a, a kind of a basis and, and a taste for the hunger of wanting the, the top flight success and, and the first kind of major thing in, in your career that, that kind of kicked you on? Do
0: you know, see, see I always say like winning, winning, winning a football match is a byproduct of the majority of your team making the right decisions and, you know, and, and having ability. Winning trophies, you know, that needs to go on for a prolonged period of time. But we never focused on winning trophies. We just focused on having a, a competitive, no-nonsense training culture where every single time you trained, you were timed. There was a, there was a result. There was a punishment. There was, there was consequence. And so rather than focusing on, on, on winning things per se, we just got our habits correct. We got our day-to-day correct. If you were late, there was punishment. If you never did your job correct, there was punishment. So there was consequence in everything you do. So when you go on Ibrox, you know if I make a bypass, we're going to lose a row here. So the, you're, you're, you're indoctrinated into just being regimented and, and on time and doing things correct. And intensity has got to be there. The fitness has got to be there. Don't do nine push-ups I've asked you to do 10. Do 11. That was the kind of mantra that we had. So the, the whole thing about winning trophies, yeah it was great to win a trophy of course it was you know and winning the BP Cup and the Glasgow Cup and all that stuff but because you're indoctrinated for your 13-14 it's expected so it's not like okay I've won the Reserve League I want to win more I wanted to win every single day in training and Bomber and John McGill used to set up head tennis competitions and whatnot. and you would see the ones that wanted it and I do that now with my young boys when, when I take them the odd time I'll, uh, I'll set up head tennis tournaments and without fail it's not the ones who are the most talent. It's the, yeah, there are some that have got talent and will to win, but inevitably the ones that are the best tennis players are the ones that didn't give up. They're so competitive, they're combative. They've got that ingrained in their DNA that will to win, and you know, and that's never left me. You know, I, I, maybe it was in me before. I don't know, um, but it certainly was heightened when I went when I went to IVROX.
1: It would be Dick Advocaat that gave you your first taste of, of first team football and in a time where Rangers were, were blessed with, you know, a team full of internationalists, how did you um find your voice in that dressing room? And was the grounding that Bomber had given you just vital to to everything that you said they're vital to, to getting into that first team and making sure that once you got there you were there to stay?
0: See, see, the see the way it works you don't just go from being a an 18s player to 20s player or reserves in the eight days to first team you're you're kind of drip fed for over a 2 3 year period so like when you're 17 18 sometimes you get to team the first team or you go on a pre-season friendly with the first team and you get 10 minutes or you play in a, a testimonial where there's four or five first team players so and you and, and in the days as well and you, you were you ate with the first team so you were allowed in the dressing room with the first time. You, you were cleaning their boots, you were, you were skivvies for the first team. So you were, as much as you were a, a, a 17-year-old boy, they all knew your name, you, they, would, they, would, they would treat you, yeah, yeah. you knew your place, but you, you, you were, I've been around Durante since I was 15-year-old, you know what I mean? So by, by the time it comes to being in <clears throat> around them and, and somewhat one of them, um, yeah, you're kind of used to it. And And, and the indoctrination, I keep going back to that indoctrination word that bomber that instills in you, you actually believe, I'm meant to be here. I'm not here by mistake. I'm here by, you know, I've, I've earned this. And even if you then, you know, you go in there and you don't show up the same talent as a Jonas Tern or a Barry Ferguson, you've still got that steeliness, that willingness, that Rangers, I'll um, never say die kind of attitudes that, even if somebody does go past you, you think oh, that's not gonna happen again. So then what happens, you start, you start honing skills like, okay, I'm gonna be, be a bit more aggressive on this guy, I'm gonna start booting him, I'm gonna start grabbing him, I'm gonna start getting tighter to him. You know, all these different things that you start actually enhancing your own game, and it's not based around taking a touch and making a 60 yard pass, because not everybody can, can do that. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a drip-fed environment, but when you do, then get your initials on your jersey. That first day at Murray Park, when I got, I get told I was with the big boys, and I had MR on my top. I thought, okay, now the now the, the 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 honeymoon is over. Now it's in my job. I've got to win. I've got to be part of a a culture. I've got to be part of the link in the chain, and of eleven bodies on the on Ibrox. That I've got to do my job, and it's daunting. It's frightening, but it's so exciting. It's it's, it's the best period of my life uh, from a football sense.
1: Rangers would quickly transition from Dick Advocat to Alex McLeish. How much of a um, transition was it for you on the training ground? And what did you learn um, in in differences of of style of man management from both?
0: I've I've, 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 I've been documented saying this before that the the, the gaffer, like Mr Advocat, he had £4 million players times 20. Everybody was an international. Every single player, and we're talking about top internationalists, not just you know a Welsh internationalist or a, a, a Georgian international, or whatever. We're talking Dutch. We're talking <laughs> the best German international. We're talking the best of the best. So it was it was mainly about keeping harmony, keeping discipline, and having a basic principle of five defend, five attack, and it was about having a structure behind an attack that wouldn't allow us to be counter-attacked. And that's very much the principles that I hold through today um since I went to Motherwell. And that's followed me all my all my career. The difference when the manager the, the Gaffer and Al McQuish come in um was of course it was a different style. Um remember people people seem to forget is, it. um the Gaffer was was young in his management career. So he was still he was still cutting his teeth, per se. I know he's been at Motherwell and Hibs, but he was quite a young man when he got that job. So, so he he'll even admit himself that he he was he was he was learning on the job as well. Whereas Dick Advocat was 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 a, basically a master of it, an oracle of football. Um, so the, the the differences were, were quite stark. Uh, the, the manager, at McLeish, was, was more personable and more more that kind of. Yeah, he, he kind of got closer to the players, whereas Mr. Advocat was, was was more distant. The tactical stuff, I, I felt Ant had a more man-management style versus uh, for, for the, versus uh, Dick Advocat. Um, but he had to because if you look at the the players that we could then attract, they were still good players, but they weren't quite of the, the class that, that uh, Dick Advocat was, uh, was was unable to to, to bring into the club in, in terms of spending four, five, six million on players, 12 million in, in Tor fours instance. So it, was, it, was, it had to be different. Um, but what it does, it, it then injected a different style. It was a bit more robust. It was a bit more aggressive. It was a bit more, what you would say, I don't know, more defensive as such. So listen, every, every manager you have has his strengths and weaknesses and, um, and they two are no different.
1: Touching a wee bit on your getting onto actual um, points in your career and, and, and highlights and we've had obviously Alex McLeish come on and we've had a lot of players and we've spoken about the League Cup win in 2003 but we wanted to ask you from a different point of view we know the stories about the wins and things like that but you came on at around 65 minutes at a time in the game where Rangers were were 2-1 up and Peter Lovincrasse was playing in front of you how difficult is it to come into such a massive game and and what kind of instructions, information, and and stuff like that do you get before going on? Because it must be, it must be in terms of for you, it must be you know to get up to speed and things like that. How quickly and how important is it that you get on and take all that information and, and get on there quickly? <coughs> I actually think you have an advantage um, in a sense that you can
0: see the pattern of the game from the side. So you, so you're actually evaluating evaluating it without the the the, the kind of commotion all round about you, the emotion, the, the commotion, all these different things that are going on in your, in your head. People are winding you up. You've made a bad pass. You, you, the game can sometimes pass you by. But as a sub, which was often for me, um, you could you get a picture of the game. And, and you know, people talk about Ole, Ole Gunnar social, coming off the bench and scoring all the time because he's seen the patterns. He saw how the defenders are behaving. And he then adapted his mindset or game plan going into that to, to conquer his opponent. Me, I, I was not as sophisticated as that. But listen, when you're going, out, I take it you're talking about the Scottish Cup, uh, the the League Cup against Celtic.
1: Yes, the the two-one victory when Lovin and Caniglia scored. You came on sixty-five minutes or so for Bonacel, Yeah, the left
0: back injured. Yeah. So you know, I actually enjoy playing left back um, better than I did right back. I, I felt that you, the range of passing would be easier. You can come inside and, and switch play, and you could passes back to the goalkeeper for instance would be safer because you were on your right side so all these different things made it easier for me playing at left back um, but you know what to, to get back to your point there's no real rhyme or reason sometimes you go on you play well sometimes you go on and, and you can't get into the game me as a back it was more about when you have Lohenkranz in front of you it's about okay pass it to him and support him because you're not really going to be able to run beyond Peter Lohenkranz speed he runs it so it was more about having I wasn't instructed to do anything. It was just to have a kind of tactical awareness myself to say, okay, we're well, 2-1 up. I can stay in shape. I can support Peter from behind and, and just make sure we see this game out. So it wasn't a programme movement from from the manager to, to put me in. It was more force because Bonacile was injured and then it was just about evaluating. And, you know, what's easy when you've got, was it Amoruso and Craig Moore on the inside, was it? I can't remember the team. It's that long
1: ago. Um, but, you know, Top.
0: Yeah, it was it was ammo and Moore were at the centre half. Yeah, so they're as safe as houses. So it's yeah, it's um, yeah. It was it was actually I, I remember it quite quite vividly like in terms of the actual playing part. No, and it was it was just good to to get to defeat Celtic again in a cup final. It was it's always nice.
1: We're at that point. we we're, we're heading for a, a treble. um, and it's, it's, it's obviously something I wanted to ask you as well. We've seen clips of you, Morris, um, since the Scottish Cup final was, was on a couple of weeks ago. And, and people have commented that they've seen a side to you, perhaps, that people didn't realise. It was one that I knew of at the time. But you were, you were actually quite a hard player in terms of you would always... Um, there, there was clips in the Scottish Cup final where you're shouting at your teammates and things like that when we were heading for trebles like we were back in 2002 2003 were you a voice in the dressing room were you one of the ones that, that kind of brought through your upbringing from John Brown and and would kind of go from there and and kind of drive people on <laughs> um no. Uh, no because it would become it would come across
0: as forced uh, i would think because my my standing in the group wasn't uh, as one of the main players it never was so i was always Playing like just just like a supporting role. Now, if at halftime you come in and somebody had to go at me and they were wrong, then I would back back, of course. Um, but in terms of going out before a game, it was always your Barrys, Craig Moores, Stephen Cross, Neil McCann. These guys that that would be the more vocal. I was more of a supporter, but again, I, I was still stick up for myself and. And, and if, I, if I believed I was correct, I wouldn't I wouldn't just argue for arguing's sake. But, no, it's important that you know your position within any group. You know, when when you're at work, you know, there's a hierarchy. And, and, and in football team, it's, it's no different. It's when you try and, no, you know, we talk about it in Motherwell, stay in your lane, know your role, know what your position is, stay in your lane, you don't get bitten. You know, it's one of the ones where if you then start to try and be something you're not, always get found out so no to to answer you I I was a supporting role as as, as strong-willed and as opinionated as there can be but as soon as you go on that over that white line it's you're in fight or flight mode so if somebody's saying something to you you disagree with of course you're going to argue back but I mean if you look at that cup final Neil McCann and Barry Ferguson are arguing like mad and Newman and Neil McCann were arguing like mad They're, they're caught on caught on video but it's just to spur each other on, because if you berate someone for making a mistake or not doing the right thing, you've then got to make sure that you're switched on and you're doing the right thing because they're gonna come back at you. So it, it actually just creates a kind of an environment. Everybody just keeps each other on their toes. Sometimes it's, it's bravado, sometimes it's made up, sometimes it's to keep that person on his toes. I mean, Barry just barked to everybody, but I believe that was to keep himself alert, um,
1: and And ultimately it worked. I suppose the reason why I asked that was because there's there's other clips of you. You you you're quite um you say like you, you obviously had a, a standing and things like that, but the point I was trying to get at is you never ever shirked away. You were never one that kinda of hidden away. There there's clips of you I mean grabbing Johan Mia by round the neck and a headlock and things like that. When they go and get tough, you were there. Um and, and that was it the, the kind of point I was 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 kind of getting at that we could have counted on you knowing full well that you weren't going to shy away from anything.
0: Can I tell you, if if it was me and Johan Mial be in a room on my own, I'd have run out of that bloody room, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I've picked on the wrong one there, haven't I? Um, Christ, he's probably got 15 kilos on me. I seen, you're at fever pitch, and I keep saying it's fight or flight. You are in the cauldron, the Celtic part, you've got 7,000 bears behind you. There's that siege mentality, us against them. Um, you know, you're not going to get any decisions for the ref, all that kind of stage mentality stuff that you have, and you know what, you don't even realise you're doing it. You don't even recognise it until you know later on your mates mention it or whatever. Um, but do you know what, it's part, it's part of the spectacle. It's part of the the whole beauty of the old forum, and I'm just so so grateful that I've I've, I've been part of it. Um, it's, it's a it's a special place in my heart. It's made me the man I am today and hopefully it's going to stand me in good stead in my coaching career because I've got nothing but fond memories from from the whole journey from 12, 13-year-old to, to leaving when I was 25.
2: As uh, Stevie was saying then, Morris, we've had a uh, big echo uh, just a couple of weeks ago and he was talking through uh, the uh, title one over, uh, uh, over Ed, Ed and D, over Ed sorry, uh, and or spoke about the game and everyone went, went with that game. From your perspective in, in the game, Build up to that game. You look at the, the characters and the guys in that dressing room. How how was the us us to the build up to that one, and now the training through it. And what epic was seen to you through that week?
0: The approach never really changed much. I mean, of, of course we're, there's nerves, but there's all these players are they're, they're made they're made that way. They're, they're kind of used to it because listen, see whether you're going at Ibrox in the first day of the season or the final day of the season is daunting from Pulling up to the school, parking your car, running the gauntlet across the street to facing so many hundreds of fans to to sign your autographs, etc. The whole build up is there every single day. It's like a cup final every day. Ibrox. it's that part of the atmosphere all the time, um, and it's so daunting to to run it in front of fifty two thousand and know that a bad touch or whatever is going to be spotted. So it doesn't really change, um, and I always remember the ma- the manager's approach on the Duffner game. It was it was more about being calm trust yourselves you know it wasn't one of these ones where you need to rally the troops so to speak because everybody knew the importance so it was um, it, it never really it never really altered because every week was a must win anyway so we programmed in that so it doesn't change um, you know I was looking at the. I looked at the game look at the game back a couple of weeks ago it was on but the start difference for me was looking at this, the quality the standard of the you look at going back from Rugby Park to Ibrox, Rugby Park to Ibrox, the, the level of football Rangers we were playing in the days was sensational compared to, to what Celtic were. You know, look at everything. Everything went in the box. Everything was long from from, from Celtic's point of view. Um, and we were, which looked like we were popping it everywhere. The, the passing through the midfield, through the, through the back in the midfield, through the thirds. Through the and it just looked like a total different brand of football. Um, now, Celtic were a f- phenomenal football team as well. There's no getting away from that, but I just, I was like, wow, look at the difference. And looking at that difference, I said, well. You know, we
2: we did deserve to win that title. You also deserve to win the uh, Scottish Cup that season as well. That was the rounds off the treble. The it indeed game at hand, and you come on at, at half time. a sub for Michael Moles. What mm-hmm. was the? What was uh, Alex thinking behind, behind that switch? Not the most natural of switches, switch here, but what was the kind, of, the kind of tactical switch that he made us the bigger and we'll finally gets the goal and all ends well? But what was kind of, going through your mind at half-time when he says, right, now no, you're going on and uh, Michael's coming off?
0: I think it was more to get numerical advantage in the middle of the park. I think the, the, to get Rickson in the middle of the park for his legs, and um, so I, th- I would imagine they've take- put me on, put- taken Moles off, and they've re- readjusted the front three with the lads the Boer and McCann. I think that would be, would it be McCann? No.
2: Yes, yeah, I was, uh, Neil Shorter and uh, Michael that started. Yeah,
0: so they've taken Moles off and they've put, they've put the Boer up front. That's what we've done.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I think you've given a wee bit more energy in the middle of the park. With with Fernando and of course my my physical uh, abilities in the wider areas, um, but remember Dundee were on top at that point. Dundee were actually putting us under the pump, so I think getting a wee bit of fresh legs at, at the back um, and, and beefing it up with Fernando in the middle of the park. Uh, I think we we weathered the storm then, and you know luckily for for ourselves that Big Amo put his head bravely put his head on on a, I think it was a Neil McCann cross and we got the win. So it was. It's not it's not a classic sub Ross for for moles, but uh, I think I think that was the thinking
2: behind it. That, that game also proves to be the final one for a lot of that squad, and there's a big change over over that summer going into o three o four. Obviously, in the end doesn't turn out to be as, as successful a successful season. How did you feel the kind of dynamic change in when we look at some of the guys that left, and with all respect, to the guys that came in not quite of a similar pedigree, not quite of a similar standard. Alex was having to. Do a bit of wheeling and dealing in the transfer market. How how was the squad at that time, and did you feel yourself that the guys we've got are just really not as good as what we've had uh, previously?
0: I think that the, the, it's, it's twofold. I think if you look at the leagues we've won, they were they were won on the last day. So as much as Celtic, as much we say, yeah, we won this, we won that. Celtic could easily feel the felt aggrieved that they'd lost the titles. So it was very, very, very fine. So to, to then go on in 2003-2004 and, and lose the title, it's 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 no disgrace considering how, how strong Celtic were. Um, I always felt it was... I wouldn't say the type of cards because the, the characters were decent guys and whatnot, but I always felt there was a lack of mobility in some of the players we signed. Um, I don't want to name names, but a lack of mobility for sure. <clears throat> you know under, under uh, the Cabra regime and uh, in Alex's first year the, um, there, was, there was there was a dynamic uh, feeling to Rangers yes of course you had your debuts who weren't they lightning quick but they were so clever so technical so so smart that they they, they, could, they could influence football matches standing on their heads as long as they had willing runners you know you had Canejo you had McCann you had Lohancranz there was always pace there Mikey Moles was explosive Rod Wallace was in there under the, the advocate era so there was always a bit of explosion in, in, in the forward areas. Um, and even in midfield areas, when Rixon and Barry, you know, you had legs everywhere. So I felt that that was maybe something we we start signing players that were aged or ageing, rather than going and signing 23, 24-year-olds that were on the up. And that's something that I, I talk about with our manager and, and coaching staff at Motherwell, is we should always aim to sign players where their trend is up. Uh, and, and the, my, the perfect example of, of this is, is myself starting at Rangers and ending up playing in in, uh, in China you know the trend is down you go Rangers Wolves Vikings Stavanger, Turkish Turkey Super League China you know the trend is not a positive trend so now when I'm looking at players I want boys that are on the up boys that want to come to you and leave you but in a positive sense they want to come do great and earn the right to, to go and play at a higher level I think that's so important because too many people, oh, he's got a great CV, yeah, but look at the trend. The trend is downwards. So I felt we signed players of that elk um, in the days, which was ultimately a downfall.
2: That squad also has a, a Champions League campaign to to go in with also Copenhagen, Stuttgart, Pathaios, my United, in that in that group stage. For for you, how how did you feel? Okay, physically and mentally ready for that for that Champions League challenge. Well, we even even though your, your squad maybe is not
0: as strong as the one before, you, you're still you're still training well, you're still preparing well, still professional, still good footballers there. You know, you still got have a lads, and taters, and all these boys. It's still a good level, um, and 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 you're always you're always programmed to believe we will win this football match. So that doesn't change. the only The only thing that changes is. When you get that half chance, can you score it? The person that has that half chance, does he have that talent to put it in the net rather than, than put it past the post? These are the fine margins that football matches are won on because when you're playing Copenhagen, you know we win by a last-minute shot to have a go or last 10 minutes or whatever. You know, if that goes over the bar, you know, you're know you in a sticky situation again. So it's, it's, it's fine, fine margins, but we try to make sense of everything. Sometimes it's just good luck. Sometimes it's the bounce of a ball because at Champions League level, they're all good teams. They're all good footballers. So it's a, it's a difficult to to actually draw a line there and say that's the reason or this is the reason. It's it's really difficult, um, and that's why you've got football talk shows that are on three you know three different talk shows on every night of the week because everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got selling certainty when actually there's there's no certainty in football.
2: Something I've I've spoken to Big Eck about before was how might to set the team up no, on, on a Saturday, the, the expectation is Rangers go and play in the front foot and they win games domestically, you then go and you go to Parthagos, you